Hello, this is Ben Payton, and you are listening to The Bill Podcast, brought to you in association with georgefairbrother.com, mcgoldrickwatchrepairs.com, and Misty Moon Events. For over 60 hours of exclusive The Bill-related content, including reunion highlights, cast and crew commentaries, reaction videos, pilgrimage location videos, off-the-beat bonus podcasts, and much more, join the investigation from £2.49 a month at patreon.com forward slash the build podcast we had a different producer who came in for a short period of time and then went, and then the show started to lose its angle, specific angle. And Michael Chapman was really strict with that. And I'm really grateful that he had a very clear path with it. And 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 the and the other producers, the associate of a different Pat Sands, who was Samantha Bond's mother. Yeah, yeah. Who played Money Penny back in the Brosman days, and uh, Richard Hanford and Michael Cocker. Oh, he's one of our directors. But you know, it, it, I really liked that because I think when you've got tight boundaries with something you can go further with it mm. whereas if it's free for all in terms of a style and what what it's really about and i with the greatest respect to the bill as a whole entity and love for it because i was part it was part of my life for nearly seven years um and i chose to leave it so you know because i went off to do this play and then i came back and i thought actually it's time to go right okay. and, um, and then i just did a little bit of band of brothers and things you know just other things and didn't really go where I wanted it to go in my career you know I mean but I don't know if I really had any idea where I wanted it to go but actually right now you know if I could do half a dozen more plays I'd be a happy man because I, I do like doing it you know I like mm. the process I love the rehearsal period and stuff of course you know if there's tv or whatever you know of course I'd, I'd still like to do it but I'm it, it doesn't have the same I will cry my eyes out if I don't get a role important to me, you know. well, to me it was class you know reading looking at the program and seeing the rehearsal photos and like I, I hope I'm writing this observation that you wore a tie because you knew you'd be wearing a dog collar and you wore a beret because you knew you'd be wearing an army hat in rehearsal and I hope yes. I'm right in observing that and it's just yes. like yes. getting yes. and like getting yeah. in, the, in the moment as best as you can before as you've got you the, can. yeah that's yeah. right Drama Center, because Christopher Fettis or uh, Drama Center ideas, it, uh, things aren't props and costumes aren't costumes. You're, you're wearing garments or things that can get as close to whatever, just to find something, a physical thing or whatever. You know, like Dustin Hoffman says, he always begins with his shoes or something, you know, to find something. But I can't, I don't like it when people go into rehearsals and they're just always wearing tracksuit bottoms and T-shirts, unless the role is like that. And I'm thinking, how can you know this is Edwardian? Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, with suddenly, you know, just a different garment, well, you'll sit differently or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the same with um, objects, rather than thinking them as props. They, they shouldn't be just given to you on the day before you're going to go up in front of an audience or something. It's going to get you to work in these things, you know? And, uh, you know, I liked that at my desk and the bill and the things on my desk and my... Pen, and I had a fountain pen and stuff, but I never used it. But I just thought, well, it's a gift from girlfriend or something, you know, and, and just remote, remember stuff. And um, 
I was really proud. One thing I'm really proud of is really it was the last episode I did, Streetwise, and I directed. Uh, um, it was directed by uh, Julian Holmes. Yeah, he only ever did one. That's right. He's had an amazing career, like before and since. But yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, and, and I don't know if the producers were were that enamoured with what he did actually, because he was bringing a different style to it. What is amazing about that style that he created is very very handheld, lots of flash cuts and, and just mm. really playing with the style of the series, which then, like two years later, every episode looks like that. He, he was almost ahead of his time. Yeah. But, but to me, it stands out because, I mean, it, what, a, what a performance by you. I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic performance. That, that whole episode, like, it's one that the fans still talk about. Because like oh. uh, the Billiton, which is like the best Bill fan site, and they, they celebrate episodes and they celebrate characters. And like Rod Scase is continually in people's top five characters in these polls. I mean, I, I, oh. I see them all the time. And people say, I it still gets me every time Rod Scase walking away in the silent credits. And I think you're the only character they ever did that's, that for. That's what I was going to say, because I had Simon. I mean, the thing is, Doing that episode, things were heightened because I knew it was my last episode. And I was still, whilst I was doing it, I was thinking, do I really want to do this? And I remember John Sim saying, King Hell, man, what are you doing? Get out, you can't do it all. You know, there was that and other people as well. And having gone off to Australia and did this play and came back. And, and the fact that it was Simon Rouse, who I had my last encounter, was the last person when we're standing by the canal. Yeah. And then the thing, and then and I've got the one of the new boys, Rene Zaga. I always want to call him Rene Zaga, but Rene Zaga, right? just having a little dig at me as I'm saying, "You happy now? You happy now?" And I remember I was so, I felt so, I felt really bound with despair to leave to leave it, and also to leave in that way, you know, for a kind of. You know, I'm, you know, I'm feeling it now, you know. Yeah, of, yeah. That kind of nine-year-old boy to have died as my mismanagement of this case. And I, there were, believe me, there were times where I really thought, I'd like to go back. I'd like to go back. With, with, with a show like The Bill, I can't say like The Bill, with The Bill, you go in there with six months, and the first thing, you just have to see if you can not bump into the furniture and say your line straight and be on time, yeah, for a young actor drama school, you know. And then you get offered a contract. And then you can start thinking about tips from Chris Ellis and whatever. What's he going to be like? Because you've got to feed the writers. Because these writers are busy people. They might be going off to work on Cracker or Between the Lines or the other shows where, you know. But you've got to give them something to base... So you start getting episodes written for you and stuff. And I started started going down the sort of thing of sometime, you know, a few things where I wanted to just find the humour in it, but not to play it for laughs, but do to find something and play the truth of it, but to find some kind of comic angle. Let's imagine you watch um, Christopher Walken in something, and it might be, and it's not comedy, whatever, but there's something that you'll laugh at or something, or Harvey Keitel or Meryl Streep or whoever, They'll do something that's such a human thing that it will you'll find it amusing. Even in terrible, tragic scene or whatever, there's something that will be 
that humanity, the, the thing that people can relate to, and you find it, and that's you know, a film like Midnight Run with Robert De Niro, you know, oh, that Charles with Grodin, with Charles Grodin, who we who died yeah. this year or last year. Yeah, that's right. I watched it again the other day, and I showed it to my nineteen-year-old, and he's seen it. He loves that film. Oh, me too. Yeah, yeah and Toto, it, and it's, yeah. It, <laughs> it's perfect. When he goes, when he's on the train, and the guy says to him. His name's Mosley. I'm Mosley. Oh, it's Mosley. <laughs> you know, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, fat Koso. What? Hey, is it just brilliant? I love those guys. And it's got the guy who's the bail bonds guy who popped up in the Memento. And was, yeah, Matrix. And yeah. And, what, and also the terrible character that they had to cut after killing in Sopranos. Yes. Um, the, 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 yeah, it's great. And anyway, but that kind of thing. And, and I was trying to sort of give that in terms of these very straight or the 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 material that was being given. And then the writers started to write things which were kind of like comedic. Mm. I was thinking, I don't want to go down that road. I kind of and that's what started making me think, that's not what I'm trying to do. Right. So I start trying to write comedy. And there was the thing that, you know, I suppose it was comedic my relationship with Carrie Peer, with uh, Susie Croft. And stuff, but I always wanted to try it. And so the thing about that streetwise was, I was thinking maybe, you know, maybe if you know, and I, and it was just pride. I'd made the decision to go, and there were times I was thinking, do I want to go back on this? Do I have the balls, or do I? Can I drop the facade of the pride or whatever to actually approach myself? I'd like to come back. And it wasn't because I was needing to do it because I needed it because I was out of work or what have you. It's just like I was thinking of those kind of unfinished business with it. And, you know, like I said earlier with the play, I've only just feel like maybe I'm starting to just scratch the surface with it. Even after seven years with Rod Skate, I really wanted to know what exactly so that we, we actually just sit down with the writers and say, what can we create with this guy? What can this guy be? You know, will I be staying? Because strictly speaking, if you become promoted, you wouldn't be in the same station. You'd go to a different station because you don't have your peers then resenting you for being becoming a sergeant or a DS or whatever. Mm. You'd always go on to a different... And maybe you'd come back later. But I always... There were a couple of times I was thinking, I kind of... I do regret making the decision to leave it. Well, which is yeah. a testament to you and how, how, how much you, you treated it and materials, you know, sincerely... I, but then, because the show changed so dramatically, like mm. you know, it, it's like Greg decided to leave a similar time. In a way, perhaps, yeah. perhaps you got out at the because those those are halcyon days of the show. That sort of, yeah. especially by the nineteen ninety nine, and you got the yeah. hour long formats, or yeah. You know, well, I the, think it, I think that cast was very successful in, with that oh. period because the thing is, we we were coming in hot on the heels of two or three of the most loved characters, Ellison, you know, Roach and John Isles. There was a class of, you know, the late 80s, early 90s going through Burnside days and stuff. And we had to try and create a new thing. So we had Russell, me, Mary Jo Randall, real deal, proper. Yeah. You know, Susie, yeah. fantastic, really lovely. And of course, um, uh, Libby Davison. Yeah. And I say Russell and, and, and Billy coming in. And we had, um, and of course, Sean Scott. I loved working with Martin Marquez. I was really sad to go because we yeah. just we got on really well. And uh, you know, he was my dressing room mate before um, uh, Russell. I did an episode. It was in the early days of when we'd occasionally have a, a special, which would be fifty minutes long. Mm. And I did an episode 
and I'm not thinking it's because I was in the episode. It's not that at all. It's, but I think because there was a curiosity and Bill fans would like to see one which is 50 minutes long. And I happened to be in one of these. But I remember um, going into Nigel Wilson's office, who was a production coordinator, who didn't have it on a on a on a spreadsheet on his computer or whatever. He just had it all around the walls, which is how it's better to do it because he can, you know. And um, we, I saw that the episode that I did uh, with uh, I forget the actress's name, but she ended up in a toast of London, which I love. But it got about fourteen and a half million viewers. Madness! I mean, it's just incredible, isn't it? Honor and Obey, which is which is the first one where they really played with you and Kerry being at loggerheads and yeah, skaters yeah, being yeah, misogynist. Yeah. You're like in your mid to late twenties, you got top billing on that episode and it got twelve and a half million. Skates is being his classic uh, you know, you listen, you might learn something and Kerry's got that great aside, Oh, I'm sure I will. Uh, you know, and he, he's like <laughs> Who says that? <laughs> I mean, how? What did you enjoy about playing him, and how similar was the Ian Fletcher of nineteen ninety four to Rod Skates? You know, what, where, where, where were you, and where was he? You know. Well, I mean, much as Greg says, you know, I was so happy. I mean, it was amazing when I when I got the role because uh, I remember lying to uh, the producers about me having a driver's license. <laughs> but actually, I didn't lie because they said to me, "Can you drive?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> Right, and I'd, I'd done the screen test, and as had um, Carl Brinkett, and um, and then I waited, and my agent at the time uh, called me up and said, um, "It's an offer," right? And I was like, "My God, that is incredible!" So this is all in within sort of five or six hours. This little thing. So I got the news, and I'd got it, and then my agent said, um, "Just one thing. They asked you about your driving." And the blood just left my head and just drained out through my feet. And I'm just there suddenly. And I'm, and my girlfriend at the time is looking at me and I'm on the phone. And I said, uh, I don't have a license. And he said, you told me you can drive. I said, yes. And he said, I'll call you back. This is my agent, right? And then I got a phone call from Richard Hanford, who was the Red Unit producer, who was, you know, right-hand man to Michael Chapman. He, he called me up and said, um, you told us uh, that you could drive. And I said, well, I can drive. And he said, you don't have a license. I said, no, I don't have a license. And he goes, oh, I see what you've done there. <laughs> and I, I said, um, I'm actually in the middle of having driving lessons <laughs> with, with Francesca looking at me saying, what? <laughs> yeah. right, right. And I'm like, okay, okay. And um, he said, that shouldn't be a problem. I'll have a chat with Michael, but I don't think it'll be a problem. It's not about whether you can drive or not. I'll get back to you. I'm on the bed, rocking backwards and forwards with mm. Francesca, thinking, what have I done? What? I've lost this job. I've lost it, right? Anyway, in that time, it was about three or four hours. He said, oh. I'd call you back in about 20 He said, I'll call you back 20 minutes, something like that. I'll have a word with Michael, right? So anyway, four hours later, once we've already organised a whole bunch of driving lessons for that week uh, and a, a test, thanks to a cancellation, we'd got it all sorted. I was driving with... Francesca, my partner, calls back at around about 5.30. And he said, Ian, it's absolutely fine. We look forward to seeing you next week. I've got the thing, right? Oh. Right. What I didn't know is when Richard Hanford put the phone down, he was in the office with Michael Chapman, who was just sitting back. And he said, what did he say? He said, you can't drive. 
You can't drive. What have you told him? He said, well, it's going to be all right. And he said, don't call him until the end of the day. Let's teach him a lesson. <laughs> he was a car, really. Michael Chatwater. Michael he's still, Chatwater, he's yeah. still alive. I haven't Is been he? able to. Oh. Yeah. I'd like to speak to him, yeah. He famously, on the very first block of the bill in 1984, called Derek Cossey into his office. Derek Cossey. Derek Cossey, I know, yeah. He picked up an axe that he'd been given from a fireman's award and put an, an axe through the videotape and said, I don't like this episode, remake it. Yeah. You know. That might have been one I was in. Oh, no, no, no. That was, it was well, we did do an episode. I, I did an episode with, um, with Greg, right? Where we had a guy uh, with a gun in a house who did a, fish, a scene with a fish tank directed by Derek Lister. Out on a limb, that episode. Out on a limb. Yeah. Now, Out on a Limb, that was a remake of an episode where Michael Chapman didn't like the actor who, as a Geordie actor, came in, who did it. Oh, wow. And we shot the whole thing, he didn't like it. And we didn't, it was never shown. So if that's knocking about, it'd be worth seeing. And it's the same script, but he didn't like the actor. Yeah, he's done that in 1991 with, um, it was a Jeff Stewart storyline where Jeff, where Hollis is trapped in a freezer with a gunman. And... The actor had played had played it really intensely, and yeah. Michael Chapman said, "No, he's too serious. Cast someone funny," and they put Roger Lloyd Pack in that role. Oh, really? And and made it a lighter episode, even though this guy was a a, a killer. Um, that isn't revealed for the end. That was kind of like the punchline of the episode. A similar kind of storyline because we're trapped. The thing about the episode, apart from a few. Uh, Trudy or or Tony or whoever on our radios, it doesn't leave the house. It's very claustrophobic. A similar kind of situation with me and Greg. So we we become hostages. And um, the edit, I wasn't, I didn't really like the edit actually. That was, but um, and sometimes edits are really kind to you, and you just think, and the director said, no, just leave it. That'll be fine. We'll sort it in the edit. And you see it back, and you think, I'm I'm glad they did. I done a whole block of episodes and things and we've been doing long days and you know four or five shot over a few weeks whatever and i suddenly had um a window of like four or five days where i wasn't shooting anything now strictly speaking you shouldn't go anywhere on a holiday you're not going to take a holiday you're not going to leave the country so anyway i said to nigel wilson our production coordinator i said look i'm going to go up to the lakes with an old friend of mine for uh, to camp for four nights i'm going to go up on the monday come back and he said well i'll contact you if there's any anything if there's you know. so we take off uh we drive up you know as english people do you go up at two o'clock in the morning and drive the up to uh you know the distance this is what bill bryson says you know a travel writer he says you know english people when they're going to do on a long journey they get up at two o'clock in the morning and leave you know to go the distance that most americans will drive to get a takeaway you know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like to drive up to the lake district from london we got our tents and stuff. We'd had like two, three days up there having a lovely time. And we were staying, uh, we stayed camped um, next to uh, Coniston Water, you know, where Donald Camel died, you know, flipped out in the bluebird. And um, <clears throat> see, I always have to give all the detail. Anyway, we're walking around. Uh, we've got our guitars with us and going to have a nice time, if you know what I mean. And uh, do some walking and walk up. Scarfell or whatever, you know, do all these things and walk around the lakes and eat some lovely food and drink some wine and this and the other. 
And we walked into Cockermouth to buy some Kendall mint cake and also wanted to send a couple of postcards. And all these people in Cockermouth were looking at me and saying, whispering in this and the other. And I'm thinking, well, you know, and Sean's saying, do you get this a lot? And I said, well, yeah, well, yeah. Fine. My big, you know, I know. Yeah, it's fine. Anyway, I went into the post office and this pair of um, elderly ladies, like the two elderly ladies in 40 Towers, they said, uh, <laughs> Oh, you, you should be at work, you should. And I said, well, you know, even Rod Scase has to take a few days off <laughs> now and then. You know, and I went off and they were very kind. And they said, no, no, you really should. And I said, yeah, I know, I should. Walked up the street and this old guy came up to me. He said, what are you doing? You should be at work. You, you're needed back at... And I said, what do you mean? He said, I've just just heard on, on, the, on the radio that you should be at work. I immediately went, oh, I don't have a mobile phone. Oh, no, I did have a mobile phone, but I had no service. I had, you know, it dropped out. I didn't have any service. Yeah, I was at mountains, you know. Little, I called up Nigel Wilson, and he said to me, where the F are you? And I said, I'm in the lakes, I told you. He said, you're supposed to be down doing a reshoot. And I said, well, nobody told me. He said, well, Michael Chapman didn't like the actor in, um, in those three scenes that you did at the pool club or whatever, and we're going to be reshooting them uh, tomorrow at four o'clock. No! And so what happened, Nigel Wilson knew that I was going up to the lakes. He'd got in touch with BBC Radio um, Cumbria, who every half hour or whatever put out a little bulletin saying, if any of you see Rod Scase walking around wherever, and this old guy told me because he heard it on the radio. <laughs> and I said to my mate, Sean, I said, right, we're going back, we've got to go now. And it was, that it was actually that morning I just got in the car and just drove straight down to South London, you know, so five and a half hours or whatever it was. Literally, as I was getting out of the car, out of the front door came a black Labrador, followed by its owner, Michael Chapman. Wow. And I was like, Shh. And as I walked towards him, he said, so I hear you've been in the Lake District. I said, yes, yes, I have. And he goes, how's the weather? I'm going up there myself. <laughs> that's all he said. Anyway, and with Boston wagging his tail and sniffing me, and off he went. I said, well, yeah, it's okay. You can have a nice time, I'm sure. Anyway, I went straight to set, and all I had to do was just shoot the back of my head in three different angles no. with a new actor because they were just doing all the other scene, all the other angles and stuff without that actor, you know, save money rather than doing a full thing. So I do, anyway, but that was just quite, and that was when I realised that actually, from quite you know quite a few people know me across the land you know and that was probably that was probably about 97 98 there was a missing persons report on bbc radio and nigel would have loved it being on on the radio talking to the, you know in the morning what have you and they would like say and also it was in the local cumbria cockermouth news or whatever it was you know and that was that was weird you know that was uh yeah Going up to the lakes. I always have. I was up the lakes the other day. Up to going up to the same lake. How about going to France with Simon Rouse? I bet that was an experience. Yeah, I, that was a lovely, lovely time. I like these. I like these big prawns. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, I like these big prawns. They're langoustine. <laughs> that was such a lovely. I, I don't know if it worked. To be honest, I mean, I, I, I kind of the thing about. I mean, not that I put them in the same category at all, but when you see episodes of EastEnders where they take place in Spain or something, it doesn't work. Mm. And I just wondered if it did really work. It was a lovely thing to do. And we were working with a lovely director, Chris Lovett, and it was a lovely cast. And I had a real 
crush on the the girl in it that I had a in which I wanted to ask for a drink and she yeah oh I said do you want to come for a drink and she came back with some glasses and it was just too much for me to handle whilst Meadows is having his way it was great fun it really yeah I, it was a, it is a lovely episode I don't know if I don't know I mean did did do the bill regular watchers did they like it did it work did they they appreciate it it's a very highly regarded episode really i i I just enjoyed it again yesterday and did uh, you okay yeah i I treated myself well because my mum and dad live in the vendee region of france now so yeah it was i remember the the kind of little the little subplot that uh everyone wanted to go over there yeah and uh, and sean scott um deakin really wanted to go over there and he could, or, and and Simon Rouse pulls ranks. Uh, yeah, you know. And then, and then when I I get, I, I pretend I can speak a bit of French or something. That's and then it, when yeah. I get, when we're about to get in the car and stuff, and it was a genuine laugh actually. I remember when um, I think George Rossi, maybe Greg or something, they're saying, and uh, um, Billy, yeah, we didn't know you could speak French. And I said, no, I can't. I've got a clue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hello, this is Ben Payton and you have been listening to The Bill Podcast, produced and presented by Oliver Crocker, with special thanks to Ian Fletcher, co-produced by Ben Adams, Sarah Kuyper, Malcolm McLeod, Alex Mockler, Laura Pinifay and Simon Wolfe. Executive produced by Ben Ashmore, Daniel Christopher, Alana Dewar, Andrew Dyack, Paul Dunn, Dan Evans, George Fairbrother, Luke Hegarty. Edward Kellett, James Ledane, Simon McGoldrick, Lucy McNeil, Gary Moncur, Stuart and Jen Morris, Claire Norbury, Justin Pitt, Tom Sherrington, Angel Stannard, Patrick Stratford, Michael Weil and Sarah Wendt. Brought to you in association with GeorgeFairbrother.com, McGoldrickWatchRepairs.com and Misty Moon Events. For over 60 hours of exclusive The Bill-related content, including reunion highlights, reaction videos, cast and crew commentaries, Bill Grimmage location videos, off-the-beat bonus podcasts, and much more, join the investigation from £2.49 a month at patreon.com forward slash The Bill Podcast.